0: on stories of the supernatural I hope you enjoy the show and I think you are all wonderful hi everybody this is Marlene with Miami Ghost Chronicle stories of the supernatural how's everybody doing good I hope I'm doing very well and like always you, you know occasionally because it's um, I'm doing this interview it's daytime here summer and of course all my birds outside they're wide awake and they're making a lot of noise so if you hear any weird sounds it's not (laughs) it's not an evp it's just you know you you guys have heard it before it's either my dogs or my birds (laughs) one of the two but anyway Mm -hmm. let me tell you about the guests that i have with me tonight i am super super psyched this is and, and you're gonna see why in a minute uh this is a lady by the name of louisa oakley green now What i love about this is that originally she didn't believe much in psychic phenomena and then she met her husband named stephen now for more than 20 years her views on psychic phenomena have changed she has two books out one of them is psychic bystander and in this one she writes about how she went from being a skeptic to a believer okay because of hundreds of paranormal stories involving her family and you know, my favorite everyday people across the United States and around the world. You know, you know, Mia, like, don't give me the, the, the rehashed ghost story. I want the everyday person event, you know, where they, they have those moments, those encounters. But anyway, he, she's been a scribe for several decades, and um, she's worked as a newspaper reporter, a humor columnist, a health magazine editor, uh, public relations manager, copywriter, medical writer. In other words, this lady knows how to write And uh, now she's a freelance writer. She's a graduate from the University of South Carolina School of Journalism. And she's also studied biology, biochemistry, and anatomy. Um, She also sent, she's also, believe it or not, also knows how to interpret astrology charts, which I think is such so interesting. She studied that at the Faculty of Astrological Studies in London. uh, And her website address is www.psychicbystander.com. So let me bring her on, because this is going to be a great interview. Put on your seatbelts. So, Louisa, how are you doing today? I'm doing
1: great. How are you doing?
0: Fantastic. Now I'm going to ask you what you know. Most of my audience know that I ask all my guests, which is obviously by the bio. You had as an adult the psychic phenomena, but did you ever have any other? Psychic encounters or experiences prior to that as a child or before you met your husband? Well, let's just say if
1: I had had them I wouldn't have recognized them because I grew up in a home where that was considered superstition and so ah. I think if uh, You're taught that you don't integrate anything that happens, you know, something might happen, but you wouldn't really pay attention to it right. um, I think I I kind of began to become aware of psychic phenomenon and the possibility that they might be real Mm-hmm. when I met my husband more than 25 years ago. And, um, I, you know, when we met, he had mentioned that he came from a family of people who had psychic ability, but they were from Italy, and I thought, well, this is a nice old country sort of thing, okay. you know, that's that's sweet. And um, I didn't really take it very seriously. It wasn't like the main reason why we were together or why I was, you know, eventually going to marry him. Um, So I guess at first it it was kind of peripheral to me. Okay. Um, It's kind of funny. I like to tell the story sometimes of how we met because it shows how someone who's psychic and someone who is not in touch with psychic can go through the same evening and get something entirely different.
0: I would love to (laughs) hear that story because I'm sure there's people out there that find themselves exactly in what you were describing. Oh, yeah,
1: it's very funny and... um, I guess the first thing I should introduce before I tell the story is is a concept. Um, I do a lot of science writing, so when I know that something has a scientific basis, I find it interesting. And it's pretty much known that every human being has an electromagnetic field, um, Mm -hmm. their own electromagnetic field, and it's almost like a fingerprint, it's so individual. And there are some psychics who can feel that, so that's kind of an introduction to the story. Many, many years ago, I guess maybe it's about 26, 27 years ago now, um, I was doing freelance writing at that time. That's before I went into the full-time. And I was assigned all sorts of different stories. And one day, they called me up and said, oh, we want you to interview a psychic medium. And I'm like, oh, really? (laughs) And they said, yeah. Um, You know, come up with a good story. And I went, oh, all right. You know, I'm a professional. I'll go to whatever you send me to. So uh, I went to this woman's house, and I started interviewing her, found out she was incredibly intelligent, very charming, um, and not what my stereotype of a psychic medium would be. And um, just toward the end of the interview, just to be a little snarky, I said to her, so, you're psychic, tell me who I'll marry one day. And she just kind of smiled, and she said, well, I'll tell you what. When you have the time, why don't you come to our psychic development classes? We have them once a week, and you're welcome anytime you want. No charge. I went, oh, that's nice. So I turned in my story and completely forgot her invitation for about a year. A year later, I don't know why, but for some reason, this invitation starts bubbling up in my mind. And I go, you know what? I'm bored. I think maybe I'll just go to this thing just to see, you know, what's going on with it. Okay. So um, knock on her door. She answers. She recognizes me, which is very strange because we only met once and only for an hour the year before. So there's no reason why this woman should recognize me, but she did. And she welcomed me in, and she starts introducing me to all of these very nice people. Um, They weren't as crazy as I thought they'd be. You can tell I had quite a prejudice. And um, I started shaking everybody's hands, and, you know, they seemed very pleasant. And we did a psychic exercise that night, and I was very intrigued. Um, so much so that I decided that I would come back again. Now that was kind of the extent of the evening for me. Nothing special didn't really get a lot of out of, out of it, other than the fact that I found it entertaining and I decided I'd come back. Okay. But one of the people whose hands, uh, I shook was my future husband, Steven. And, um, he had an entirely different experience now uh, when he shook my hand, well, actually I should say, after that evening, he ran home and announced to his parents he'd met the woman he was going to marry. Now, we, we hadn't had a conversation uh, to speak of, you know, n- nothing much, um, and all he'd done was sh- shake my hand. So you might ask, well, why would he know that he was going to marry me, you know, aside from the fact that he's somewhat psychic? Um, and that is that when he shook my hand, normally when he shakes hands, he feels when his hand touches the other person, Kind of a spike in energy wh- okay. while his energy, his electromagnetic field adjusts to the electromagnetic field of the person whose hands he, he's uh, shaking. In my case, there was no spike. We had the same energy. Okay. And in his mind, that meant we were soulmates and that we would someday marry. And fortunately, he did not tell me that right away or he would have scared me away. <laughs>
0: you would be like, oh, no,
1: no. <laughs> but I thought, oh, no. Um, But he did tell me that later on, and in fact, he was correct, because about a year later, we did get married. So that was uh, my first brush, although I didn't realize it at the time, with uh, psychic ability and how it can affect the way you perceive things around you. You know, he knew immediately. I didn't know immediately.
0: (laughs) Right, and you were like, you were just interested because of the regular stuff, like when people are attracted one to the other, no... In other words, there was no premonition on your end, like, oh, this is my future husband.
1: No, I mean, I started attending that psychic development class, and it was also a meditation class. And this is the funny part. Afterwards, everyone would go out dancing. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And I just, over a period of three or four months, was chatting with him and said, oh, he seems like a very nice person. You know, I kind of like him. And then he asked me out, and we went out on a date. So that was kind of where that came
0: from the good old-fashioned stuff but like you said he was smart he goes if, if i start telling her by the way you're my future wife he would have been yeah, like, I'll go uh, running in the other the- direction
1: <laughs> um you know i mean that's scary if somebody gets serious much sooner than you particularly since you haven't really talked to them yet
0: <laughs> right exactly so
1: at yeah, what point um, did you and that i can't say that that uh, convinced me that psychic was real but there were things that started happening after we got married and over time Uh, they definitely wore me down. And I think the process of writing the two books that I I wrote, um, where I just interviewed people, everyday people about, you know, well, what have you experienced that you can't explain? Um, That kind of was the tipping point for me. I went, wow, these are doctors, lawyers, nurses, teachers, Mm -hmm. um, you know, like the bedrock of our society. And this is a common human experience. This isn't some yes. nut walking down the street talking to themselves. You know, right? Yes. <laughs> like, yes. This yes. is uh, this is you know what human beings experience.
0: Right, and I think that um, I want to say, for lack of a better word, that it's become a little bit more mainstream as far as it has. It yeah. it it, it allows people that normally, like you said, aren't looking for it or where they would never have talked about their experiences are coming out and saying, well, you know what, I had this happen to me, and even now I can't explain it. Or some well, that have I've had been, episodes along their entire the lives. People. One
1: is uh, most people do not share their experiences mm-hmm. unless they know you're a safe person to talk to. Yes, absolutely. And the teachers in particular were frightened that somebody would find out they didn't want to lose their jobs. Yes. Um, and the other thing I found out was that almost everyone i interviewed except my husband's family because they all totally accept this stuff said wow this is the first time i've ever been able to really talk about this and have someone listen respectfully thank you
2: yes
0: it feels good (laughs) of course so that was interesting as well right because um you know even though like you said you know back let's say after the civil war which is when spiritualism took off because of course so many people had lost loved ones during the war and still there was a lot of like people looking at you like uh you know what's wrong or you're one of those uh where like people usually kept a very low profile you know or you know even i've spoken to some guests who even as a child they would have experiences and their parents would tell them don't talk about that you know my mom had
1: that attitude. Um, she was like, uh, we don't talk... Except that later in life, um, when she read my books, she was very fascinated by them. Yeah. Um, but when I was growing up, that was considered, well, you know, this is the 1960s. We don't talk about stuff like that. We're modern now. That's that's yeah. medieval superstition, you know. Not in my husband's house. You know, it was like, you know, Grandma, the matriarch, she was extremely psychic. And uh, her it skipped her daughter, my... My uh, husband's mom And then he is psychic His youngest brother is psychic His aunt is psychic So uh, it's kind of interesting There was a a neuropsychiatrist Who taught at Harvard Medical School And she wrote a book um, On only the the most scientific studies Of psychic ability And Mm -hmm. uh, she found It was her opinion That um, probably like 90% of people Who are psychic inherit it Because there's a brain nervous system Antenna that psychic people have That's just much more sensitive than the average Person's antenna right. And that's how they pick up all this energy You know, like my husband can see dead people I could practice at a Psychic development class for the next 20 years I don't have the same antenna he has He inherited that So I'm not going to have the same level of experience I, I certainly can improve my sense of intuition Right um, But he's got the full-blown Crazy experiences going on you know and that's interesting and and then the other 10% there's they've found um, basically can develop psychic ability like amazing psychic ability through trauma um yes. there's like george george anderson who is a psychic medium in long island and he when he was a, a child i don't know 9 mm-hmm. 11 years old somewhere in there um Got a childhood um, disease like chickenpox and ended right. up with encephalitis, the swelling of the brain. And his parents were told <laughs> that he might not survive, and if he did survive, he was not going to be all there. Right. Well, he survived, and he, he was fine. The only difference is that after he recovered, he could see dead people as easily as he could see living people. And um, he, as a child, couldn't quite figure out what was going on, you know. Um, and then there was... a. Uh, a Dutch uh, psychic, He's uh, well-known in the Netherlands, I, I'm sorry to say I can't remember his name, but he was working on a ladder and working on, on the roof and fell and hit his head. And following that, he had psychic ability. And then yes. there's a, a more well-known gentleman named Joseph McMoneagle. And he's well-known because he was part of the Star Wars program with the US military where they did remote viewing. Okay. And remote viewing is uh, when you uh, they were doing uh intelligence gathering through psychic ability right on remote places and people but he didn't have any psychic ability until he had a near-death experience that's what i was about to say i've heard that a lot of people with ndes have
0: (laughs) after the fact then they have they come back you know changed and one of the things they're rewired the
1: brain is rewired they're nervous
0: now they now have an antenna that receives
1: this stuff Yes. So I I find that kind of interesting.
0: So what? How how soon was it after you got married that things started happening that you were like, "Okay, (laughs) that's not normal."
1: Well, I I guess a couple years after we got married, when my father passed away, um, there was kind of a strange experience. Um, I, you know, when you when you're grieving, you make strange decisions, Mm. and I was helping my mother plan the funeral and i said oh let's call up the minister from when we were when i was growing up because he knew dad okay. and she said okay fine and i call him up and his wife answers and she goes oh he would love to do it he hasn't done something like that in years and i i forgot he was like in his eighties and retired <laughs> i <just laughs> totally forgot <laughs> um but we you know we were like all right send him on down you know <laughs> and he was he's a very sweet man and so he he came down and uh he it was the wake and he asked everyone to sit down he wanted to to give a talk so i sat between my mother and uh, my husband and he started to talk and Uh, We realized after a couple of minutes that he was kind of wandering and that maybe his concentration wasn't what what it should have been, but everyone sits there politely anyway. And actually it was kind of a good thing because it was comic relief. If he had been a really effective speaker, it would have been a very difficult um, thing to listen to. Um, But as he's speaking, after about 10 minutes, um, my husband leans over and whispers in my ear, I see your father standing next to uh, the minister, his arms are crossed, Uh, he's tapping his foot, he looks very impatient, and that would have been my dad, Um, he would be like, come on, get on with it, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Now that in itself didn't impress me that much, but something that happened a week later did. Um, During the... um, the wake, I didn't really have time to have any conversations with anyone. So many people were filing through that I would, you know, they would say, oh, I'm so sorry, and I'd say, thank you for coming, and that would be the extent. And about a week later, my brother-in-law called, and he said, um, Louisa, I didn't want to say this, you know, the day of your father's wake, but I just want you to know that while the minister was speaking, I saw your father standing next to him, and his arms were crossed, and he was tapping his foot, and he looked very impatient. And that really, like, What's... they my husband and, and his brother hadn't spoken. Right. To hear that independently from two different people kind of blew me away. And, I, you know, I thought to myself, well, that's that's strange.
2: Yes, you know, right. Like, what are the chances? They
1: kind of saw the same thing, you know. Right, uh, it, wasn't it wasn't the fact that he had saw, seen him. It was that just totally the posture. totally convinced it was... me, but it was something that puzzled me.
0: Yeah. And so that's the first time in... And um, let me. And and I'm curious because your husband is psychic. Because I've heard of some psychics that always they kind of. And I think you you said something about that earlier, where he's uh, he pulls in the dead because they want to communicate with him. Sometimes he. But unlike a professional, because
1: no one in in his family, nor does he do this professionally. Mm -hmm. uh, The people who go professional can command it. You know what I mean? Like, okay, everybody, come talk to me now. Right. Um, In the case of my husband it just kind of happens to him every once in a while he can't command it he doesn't ask for it every once in a while he just stumbles into it okay you know um so it's not something that he he, even if he wanted to he could do professionally he just doesn't have that ability
0: and that's i think a lot of people don't realize that about just like the supernatural the psychic is not sometimes an on-demand thing where people think well if you can't reproduce it or you can't be psychic all you know all over again that doesn't mean the person's not psychic it's just like like it's not especially you know sometimes you can do it and sometimes you're more sensitive sometimes it even depends how well your body's feeling
1: you well know, whether... and it's funny but one of the criticisms you get when people are trying to prove psychic phenomenon is completely invalid and uh, i'd like to read you a little something from it's very brief uh, sure. from my first book that addresses that Okay. Um, because normally in science, if you can't repeat an experiment exactly. and get the same results, mm-hmm. um, you know it's considered invalid. But right. you're talking about the physical world, and you certainly you can repeat physical experiments. Sure. But this isn't the physical world, so this is a little uh, passage I had. Anyone involved with science knows that scientific fact is based on experiments that can be reproduced. Dr. Irvin L. Child, professor of psychology at Yale University observed in a paper presented to the American Society for Psychical Research in 1974 that, quote, unlike other areas of experimental study, paranormal phenomena have never been the subject of any kind of dependably repeatable experiment. Psi phenomena may, of course, be of such a nature that no procedure will ever be adequate to guarantee their occurrence at a particular time and place. So basically what he's saying is it's just, it's as uh, unpredictable as as human behavior. Yes. Um, You can't repeat it. Uh, And to put a physical standard of repeatability onto an energy phenomenon is not even logical. Exactly.
0: There's just two, and, and, and. Unfortunately, that's exactly what you're saying. Science wants you know to to be reproduce it or put a, some type of model together so that they can be reproduced. You know, do and this and then do that and the then you'll get this.
1: Right, right. That's why I see all the television shows where they run around with the yeah. EVP machine, going, "Oh, let's see if somebody says something to us." Yeah. You know, because they feel like, "Oh, well, that's either something tangible." And I get that, but after a while, it like, gets you know kind of old. <laughs>
0: so, well, the thing is know. this that personally and. I have a very high standard when it comes to EVPs. A good majority of those EVPs, when I hear them, I'm thinking to myself, this could be anything. <laughs> I, mean,
2: it's, I know. Did you, you hear, hear static, said- and they're going, no, and and like, just said this. Yeah. It's like,
1: and, uh, and, really? and, you know, what's interesting because people have been experimenting with electronic phenomenon for probably about 70 years. Thomas mm-hmm. Alva Edison, um, Marconi, and right. Nikola Tesla were fascinated by the prospect of electronically communicating with the dead, all three of them. And one of the first people to actually record such voices was a Latvian born film producer, Friedrich Jurgensen. In nineteen fifty nine while recording I'm sorry, while recording bird songs in the woods of Sweden, okay. he accidentally captured a man's voice discussing the nocturnal habits of birds. A few weeks later, he recorded a female voice that called him by his childhood pet name and he immediately recognized the voice as being his late mother's. He went on to record hundreds of other voices in various languages and published his findings in a 1964 book titled "Voices from the Universe." So, see, this is not a new thing. Um, although the first fellow who did it had no idea that that's what he was doing.
0: <laughs> right, and I'm sure, for example, maybe even when he record, you know, if you're out there in nature, chances are, especially if you're trying to study nature. You're, you're away from a lot of people walking around, otherwise you can't study nature. So the fact, number one, that he captured somebody's voice, maybe he could write that off. like, maybe was there somebody out there I didn't see? But I'm thinking when you capture your mother's voice calling you by maybe a name that was only known to either you, her, or a very small amount of people,
2: it's yeah, like, that's, okay, that's how do you
0: explain that?
1: Yeah, and I for me, um, I think things that can't be explained are fascinating, and that's basically you know the reason why i wrote the two books it's it's not that i i am trying to convince anyone of anything because mm-hmm. sometimes i feel skeptical myself and i i think that that's you know perfectly normal sure. and healthy um but i i'm fascinated by all of these wonderful people who were kind enough to share these stories that are pretty crazy <laughs> you
0: know, I, and and a lot of fun sometimes you know there's persons like your husband which they grew up in a family that's psychic they have A lifetime of experiences and then there's people and I'm sure maybe you've interviewed them, who per se were not psychic or hadn't and they just have this one or two experiences yes I mean that's very
1: common they you know often it's um, you know a a loved one who's passed on who's trying to give them a signal yes I mean um, my mother used to love to read my books she was in assisted living uh, prior to passing away and I had a funny thing that happened. There was this one story she loved. I can't remember if it's... I think it's... Maybe it's in the first book. I'm sorry to say. I can't remember what stories are in what book. But um, it's a story of a grandfather who died, and, and his way of signaling hi to his family was to interfere with the electronics on the uh, on the stove clock. <laughs> they even unplugged the clock from the wall, and it still was doing stuff. So they knew that was Grandpa.
2: Yes. Um,
1: but... My mother loved that story. And the funny thing about it is she passed away in 2016, and it was, you know, she was 89 years old, but it was still very painful to lose her, Mm -hmm. and um, just kind of a bit of a shock. I I know that sounds crazy, but it doesn't matter when someone dies. It's still a, a, a severed relationship. And I said to her, isn't there some way you, you know, I know I'm not psychic, and I don't see dead people, and isn't there some way you could signal to me? And about two or three weeks after she passed, um, my stove alarm, which hasn't worked in 15 years, started working. Wow. Um, you know, I'd put the timer on and normally I would have to just kind of run into the the um, kitchen and see what the timer, uh-huh. you know, w- where it was at because it wasn't going to ring at the end. Right. And it started and for the next year um, it was still ringing until I suddenly realized um, that I was at peace with with my mother passing
0: and then it stopped ringing and see and, and and that's i'm not psychic so that was pretty cool you know Well, and it was like but but then you think about okay if you don't want to say okay you're psychic as in how we think of as somebody that's being psychic but there was this connection to your mother i mean talk about a very special yeah, relationship she wanted to
1: give me comfort yes you know uh, and exactly. she knew that i wasn't gonna you know it's not like like my husband it was very sad when his his mother died she died um gosh back in 2002 2003 a while ago and he came uh, upstairs one night from his man cave into the kitchen to make a snack and she was standing in front of the refrigerator wow smiling at him she didn't say anything because she'd recently passed and i think sometimes it takes people a while to to get their energies uh mm-hmm. working but she just smiled at him while he was making his sandwich And stood there, and he found that very comforting. And he said, oh, she looked like she was 20 years younger, and she's wearing her favorite dress with her best pearls. Um, And that happens a lot, you know. Um, But, I mean, I don't have that type of spectacular experience. (laughs) For me, a stove has to ring or, you know, something else. It has a
0: little bit more subtle on your end, but.
1: Yeah, I I just don't pick up on things. That doesn't mean it's not possible to. It just means for whatever reason. You know what, and I've
0: heard a lot of persons that have had a loved one pass away that was really sick, that when they do see them, they look well, they look healthy, and it's almost like letting that loved one know, I'm okay now. Exactly,
1: because mom did not look so great at the end, and that was part of what haunted me.
0: Right. Um, You
1: know, and the deathbed decisions you have to make, and I mean, it's, we do not have a culture that, um, we have a culture that honors Trying to have a good lifestyle while you're alive, but not dying well. Um, like an- ancient cultures had quite a priority on how um, somebody would die. Yes. You know, uh, they'd have rituals. They'd have special people who would come by and either sing or recite or yes. uh, massage or wh- whatever incense, you name it. But it was all um, geared toward helping somebody pass well, to, to die well. Yes. And we don't have that in our society. We have you know these sterile hospitals and and um hospices that i mean I, I i'm sure they try to make it as nice as they can but oh, yeah you, you know you're not at home wow. <laughs> you know?
0: and you know what we get into that whole thing about you, you know that yeah life expectancy is longer than it normally than it has been before like when i'm talking maybe 50 60 70 years but sometimes you look at the quality of life. I'm not going to say for everybody, but, uh, you know, I've heard exactly what you're, you know, where people are so elderly. Like, they're technically, they're alive, but they're warehoused because, of course, they have different ailments. And Yeah,
1: and, and that's not necessarily doing doing them a favor. Yes, uh, exactly. I mean, my mother took a long time to die because she had a pacemaker. And, I, you know, if somebody wants to have a pacemaker, please. I'm sure my mother had no regrets. It helped her to live about an extra 14 years. Mm -hmm. but um it's very tough on the family because uh it just keeps your heart beating no matter what
0: and it's very it takes a long time to die (laughs) so uh, technology doesn't always help us that much right And, and this is the thing and and i'm sure there's like i said especially nowadays with like the advances like extending people's lives or um that if you say well you know what because i do know there's people that are elderly but they're they're okay. You understand what I'm saying? They
2: they oh, yeah. are aware, well, and they can do
0: it for themselves. Around fine. But you there's, know, there's she was some others until that two
1: weeks. you yeah. know until two weeks before she died. So okay, great. You
0: know, but there's others that they are uh, like you said. You know, your mom was she had this pacemaker that and you know extended her life for 14 years. If she wouldn't have had it, let's put it that way. But there's mm-hmm. a lot of times where people are alive, but they're just it's almost like they're technically alive but their quality of life unfortunately is not what you would wish that especially a loved one would have it would be like yeah i don't expect you to go running around kicking your heels up but yeah he- it's
1: difficult it's a, it's a difficult decision because i mean we our philosophy in this society is keep someone alive as long as you can you have an imperative to do yes. that um, and that's a tough one because you can't really fault anyone no one wants to right so i mean i totally get that um and, and, and it, that, it's and, very and, difficult and, for everyone
0: exactly and you know and and even when we were talking earlier you know that you know a lot of times you know how they say in these houses as well because this there was x amount of deaths in this house and i was like folks a while back people were born and died at home <laughs> it was oh, yeah. normal for died people at, to die at, at, at home. home
1: yeah my father died at home i mean i'm happy that he had that opportunity although you know he, right he still, it's it was still a shock to us you know
0: well but, yeah it and, and you know because sometimes you say well people pass away at their houses or whatever because something they died suddenly like hey but i was thinking you know i said you know once upon a time even if you were sick or ailing you still died at home because it wasn't that uncommon. In other words, if you say, well, several people died in this house, it's like, okay, that doesn't mean it has to necessarily be haunted because that was the norm. They even and had sometimes your
2: wake.
0: So let
1: me talk to you about ghostly real estate because that is a funny uh, Go ahead. subject. Um, it is actually uh, something that realtors are aware of. Yes. Uh, haunted properties fall into a category called stigmatized properties. That's actually a legal term.
0: Yeah, I've and, heard about uh, that. I now got, different states have laws about that stuff.
1: Exactly. Um, now, you know, those homes may not be defective in any physical manner, um, but spirit squatters may reduce their value. And, and uh, basically, I, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, this, this may happen oh, when somebody great. was murdered, or there was a suicide, or right. just kind of natural causes. And um, half of U.S. states have laws related to stigmatized properties. Most yeah. don't require sellers to disclose if they have a ghost. Right. If a state doesn't have a statute uh, that requires notifying spirits, uh, you know, that roam the premises, uh, then they don't have to. Um, but the real estate uh, site, of Realtor.com, or Realtormag.org, I'm sorry, it's a nonprofit, um, they have a suggestion to real estate uh agents. And I I just thought this was funny because this was written to real estate agents. They suggest telling, um, they suggest that uh, they should tell their clients um, that if they have uh, any type of paranormal activity, they should be upfront about it. And that would include objects lifting up or moving by themselves, voices or sounds when no one else is around and or strange light or shadow phenomenon that happened repeatedly. And I just, what, what tickled me was that this was in a real estate magazine. Yes. This was not in a paranormal magazine. Yeah. They were giving advice to real estate agents, you know.
0: Um, exactly.
1: So I thought that was kind of fun.
0: <laughs> well, you know, <clears throat> one time this was, um, I heard this, this was on an older radio talk. It was a, fr- it was, a matter of fact, it was coast to coast. This was, you know, our oh, yeah. bell was doing. You know, people would call him with their stories, and there's one guy who's calls him and he says, back in the eighties, he had moved out to Iowa. He he uh, worked for Caterpillar, and I guess he bought a house close to where he worked at. So he tells the story how he buys the house and he's moving in, and he says that there's a room that they're gonna give to his their daughter to his daughter, and he says he puts a nine drawer a drawer a uh, bureau in there dresser. Mm-hmm. And he says he puts it in there he walks to the kitchen uh gets a cup of coffee and uh then he's gonna go back to the room for something and he notices that the door is closed so he pushes it and he can't open the door to the room and he's like he's even thinking that his teenage son had gone into the room and was holding the door closed no, yeah I know
1: playing uh, on, with yeah. him
0: so all of a sudden his son walks in from outside with a box and he goes, oh you're you're there and he's like yeah like what, what do you think so he says he finally pushes enough and the nine drawer dresser had been put up against the wall and an empty he said that was an empty room that was the first piece of furniture he had put on there which he can't explain so make a long story short he says that they lived there like two years he says that that was the one room which by the way his wife told him no we our daughter's not going to sleep there they did made it like a like a storage room you know like a no I'm sorry it became his poker room I remember he made that comment okay but I,
1: well uh, yeah poker you can deal with that
0: stuff. right so he moves away but he says that about 10 years later in the 90s he's going through that area and I guess it wasn't a really big town so he says he goes by there and he sees that the house is up for sale it's got an open house so he says well I'm going to stop and just out of curiosity because he said he had done certain things to the house he just you know oh, let me stop in there walks in there and he starts talking to the real estate agent <laughs> and he tells her the same story. She's like, oh my God, please just don't say another word because I have to stay here by myself. But then she discloses to him like in the span of like, I think it was 12 years, the house had been bought and sold like seven times.
1: Because people were freaked out.
0: Right. Yeah. And then coming to what you were saying, like how many do you think maybe some, a lot of those obviously the nothing nobody ever told him anything when he bought the house. You well, know. No,
1: because he might not have bought it, or even if he didn't believe in it.
0: Right, and know. he says it was that one room. He says, never had any experiences outside, but that one room, there was something going on in that one room. And he says he laughed because, you know, she was like, oh, my God, please don't tell me. I have to sit here by myself until somebody comes. I don't want to hear anymore. And she goes, now I understand why this house has, you know, gone through different hands in such a short period of time. And he says it was a nice house. it was nothing really wrong with it. And uh, so I understand, in a way, why those laws are passed even though you think it's very subjective because sometimes there's people that just they don't have experiences or they don't get it. It's like, ah, oh, it's the wind. Oh, it's like, whatever. No,
1: you're right. If you haven't experienced it, it's very hard to appreciate it unless somebody that you really trust has experienced it and you listen to them. But even then, you always find yourself thinking, I don't know. I love that person, but are they crazy? You know, <laughs> I have two two stories from my books about um hauntings and houses and the first one is very funny and the other one is a little bit scary but um i don't know if it would be okay to share those sure go
0: right ahead by all means
1: all right um the first one is i call crossing the threshold and this is a story from a lady named barb who's a national radio talk show host and she was kind enough to share this story with me um she told me that real estate agents hear some fairly strange explanations from clients on why they like or dislike a house um but she may have topped them all Um, and by the way she has psychic ability so that's an interesting thing to know she had gotten divorced and a real estate agent was taking her out to look for a smaller home closer to town. Um, One home she considered was a single-story cream-colored craftsman style home. After walking through the kitchen and the great room um, Barb told the agent she really liked the house. The only thing she couldn't understand was why all the electrical outlets were higher on the wall than normal. Now at that point the uh, agent had to take a call and suggested Barb look at the rest of the house while he was on the phone. So he stayed in the kitchen and she's wandering around the house. She wandered into the master bedroom and uh, saw a man sitting in a wheelchair. He was balding and wore wire frame glasses and looked to be uh, about in the 60s. Um, and she said he was very sweet and, and he had a lovely smile. Um, she apologized profusely for invading his privacy because she didn't realize the owner was there. Uh, and he said, don't worry. He introduced himself. He explained he was the owner of the house um, and he proceeded to tell her about the history of the house as well as his dog and family. And um, finally smiling, he added, you know, you're a lovely person uh, with great energy. I would love for you to buy this house. It's kind of an odd comment, but okay. She she understood it. Um, Suddenly, Barb sensed the real estate agent in the doorway behind her and she turned to face him. The agent asked who she was talking with and when Barb turned back to point out the owner, he was gone. The agent stared at her, um, very upset, uh, as she explained that the owner had told her the electrical outlets were higher on the walls so he could reach them in his wheelchair. Um, She told the real estate agent the man's name, what they'd talked about, and he grabbed her arm, pulled her out of the house, and said, Don't ever do that to me again. Apparently, the person Barb had described and all the details from their conversation were accurate. The only problem was that the owner had died six months prior, and it was his family who had put the house on the market wow I just thought that was a fun story I love it can you
0: And you think about that poor real estate agent like I said if you're the person that has to show that house it's like oh okay I gotta go to that house again yeah <laughs>
1: yeah and, and you have to sell it which you might feel is unethical I mean I'm sure that there are real estate agents who, who really would prefer not to sell something they feel is unethical you know but that's their job to sell whatever's out there you know yeah, now, baby, the other story um, I have... Oh, sorry, go ahead. No,
0: no, go ahead. So you were saying that this is this other one. Uh, oh, the was other story's a little
1: scary, um, but no one gets hurt, so I'll just say that so that you don't have to be too scared. Um, <laughs> but it, it's an interesting story. Um, this is uh, a story that was told to me by a young lady named Lee uh, from England, and this happened when she was 16, and her family moved to Tunstall, which is a northern England town just south of Manchester, for those who know a little bit about the uh, geography of england um she said when they moved into the house uh, most of their storage ended up being in the basement and um, she just had a bad feeling about the basement and told her parents she just didn't want to go down there and her parents said she didn't have to go into the basement they didn't care you know they just threw all their excess boxes and stuff down there and they didn't worry about it one day however she ended up being sent down there anyway by her younger brother uh, and this is a, a true sibling story. Uh, the two of them were playing something called Truth or Dare. And her brother said uh, when she lost, I dare you to go down to the basement and oh. no flashlight allowed. Uh, so, of course, you can't back down when your sibling says something. You you know. So she steeled herself and descended into the basement. And despite the lack of lighting, she spied a dark figure sitting on one of the boxes. She screamed and raced back up the stairs. That was exactly what I would do. The screaming part of me anyway. <laughs> um, she said to her brother, There's someone in the basement. I don't want to go down there again. And her brother's like, Yeah, sure. He got a flashlight. He went down into the basement and he didn't see anything, of course. Um, after that, Lee avoided the basement as best she could. However, another thing happened that sent her into the basement. Her parents, uh, unaware of the experience she had had with the apparition, not that it would have made a difference, but let's just say they were. Uh, asked her one day to retrieve something from storage. They were going to have a nice little party. They wanted her to go down and find the punch bowl, which they wouldn't normally store upstairs because they don't use it that often. So she went down into the basement, and she saw the figure again, but this time with a woman in his arms, and she looked dead. Uh, He laid her on the floor and started digging a hole. Uh, She didn't say anything to her parents, um, but it did freak her out. She brought up what they needed. She decided to keep the door shut the door to the basement and not return to the basement ever again because that was it later that night she heard a scratching noise in the house that made her jump oh, boy. she went over to the basement door and found it open when she looked at the door and walls there were scratch marks everywhere and she thought wow what's causing that then her brother saw the scratch marks all over the door and went down and saw someone in the basement now he believed her mm. um, they tried to talk to the parents about it but the parents um, were like yeah sure <laughs> Yeah. So one afternoon when she was alone in the house, and I do not recommend this to anyone, but this, this young lady is really something else, she decided to communicate with the entity in the basement with a Ouija board.
2: Uh-oh. She
1: said, whoever's in the basement, tell me your name, and it spelled out the name Mark. So she went to the library to read old newspapers to determine if someone named Mark had ever lived in her new home. When I say new, it's a new old home. Right. Um, she found out that a man named Mark Thomas lived there in 1917, he brutally murdered his girlfriend and buried her in the basement. She saw a photo of the girlfriend, and she looked very much like herself. Oh. So I thought that was interesting. The ghost may
0: have thought, "Oh, you're back." That, and you know what? I don't know what it is about basements. I want to say number one, on the hit list of people that 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 they have really bad experiences with hauntings is basements, and then you go to the attic.
1: But the basements? attics and basements. I yep. don't know
0: what it is about basements. That it's yeah, like... the scary stories I have
1: are about basically attics and basements. Uh, that's a nice, relatively short story, which is why I like to tell it on air. But there's uh, I have one chapter. Most of the stories I have are actually not scary because most psychic experiences are, are actually comforting, not scary. But I do have one chapter called Ghosts Behaving Badly. And that's <laughs> the, uh, the chapter with the, the ghosts uh, that it, that's a little bit scary. Um, But uh, there's just so many stories. I mean, when I interviewed people, I didn't tell them, I want this type of story. All I said was, has anything ever happened to you that you can't explain? Period. And then they would go.
0: Right. And then see what they would say. And
1: most of the stories, I'd say probably 90% of them are very comforting and inspirational. Um, And then there's this 10% that's scary. Um, So I'd have to believe that most things that happen on a paranormal basis, if you're not looking for... You know, EVPs in, in a deserted penitentiary or insane asylum, which right. is a stupid place to go. Um, you know, most uh, – they're, they're rather comforting. They're usually people around you who you knew who want you to feel better or,
2: mm-hmm.
1: you know, uh, in one case – I I have a, a couple of funny stories. Is, um funny peculiar you know how children have this tendency to have invisible playmates yes and um people often say oh isn't that cute and they're condescending but (laughs) i have one story about a a little girl and her companion that i thought was really outstanding her her mother told me this story Um, and psychic ability runs in her family so she took this in stride um uh, this i called a spirited companion and i think this might have been from my first book i can't remember One or the other. Um, But um, the mother is Christine. The daughter is Marlena. And um, Marlena uh, was psychic from a very early age, according to Christine. But she was also extremely shy. And she would spend a lot of time in her bedroom playing alone. She had this cute little table and chairs with a tea set. And she'd serve teas to all of her stuffed animals and, you know, basically little girl stuff. And um, she had this... uh, Little child-sized rocking chair, and she would sit opposite of it and serve tea to her imaginary friend. And um, Marlena's bedroom was right at the top of the stairs, as you come out of the basement. So when her mom was coming up with a load of laundry, she could she could kind of glance in the room and see how Marlena was doing. Okay. Well, one day when Christine was coming up from the basement with wash in her arms, she glanced up into Marlena's open bedroom door. Uh, she saw her daughter sitting on the floor handing her Barbie doll to someone in the rocking chair. The chair was moving, and the Barbie was suspended in midair. Ooh. When Christine entered the room, everything stopped. The doll dropped. And Marlena turns to her mother and says, um, Mommy, <laughs> don't you see? There's a little girl sitting in the chair. She's <laughs> like, you know, hey, you interrupted this. You know? Um, yeah. And, you know, I, I find that kind of interesting because... You know, you hear about invisible friends all the time, but you don't necessarily see something that tangible. No. And I, I just found that story fascinating because it was so tangible.
0: Right. And th- yeah, and up to that point, she was thinking this is strictly an imaginary playmate. You know, this is my thought yeah, vivid mean, imagination. That's it.
1: She 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 knew there was a possibility that it was more than that because she's psychic, um, but she
0: didn't realize how tangible (laughs) it was like oh boy (laughs) yeah and to and personally to me i think of all the ghost stories that you hear about and this is besides the ones that are family you know and they come to let you know hey i'm good (laughs) don't worry when i hear about these stories about people encountering children ghost children because i think that's got to be so sad um that you think a child you know because adults, if they want to hang around, it's like, okay, whatever, you're an adult, whatever. Either you own the house, you know, you want to keep it, you're grumpy, who knows, whatever. Uh, or in the case of what you said about, you know, this is the old owner of the house wants to make sure it goes to the right new owner. But uh, when you see these things about children, I have a really soft spot. And it makes me very sad to to think that any of those stories are actually true. But... Um, Oh, I think, let's see what happened here. Hello, Louisa? Hello, Louisa, if you can hear me, I cannot hear you. Okay, I don't know if you can, oh God, Wood Shoot. Hello, Louisa? Darn it see if I can call her back I'm going to call you back if you can hear me I'm going to call you back hi hey Louisa I don't know what happened yes Okay.
1: I don't know. We started talking about It was like, all of a sudden, I was connected. like, man,
0: she's really being really <laughs> quiet.
1: <laughs> just like something a kid would do. Yeah, I was like,
0: hello. All of a sudden, it's like, no, she's not being quiet. She's just not there. <laughs> I heard a click, and I said, are you still there? I don't hear you anymore. <laughs> well, it was really funny because it shows that the the call was still connected. It was like, all of a sudden, hmm. it was like, okay. And that's why, you know, it was like, okay she's not there she's not hearing this even though the phone well, is we'll just, just
1: pick it up from from where we left yes <laughs> well, we were
0: talking I don't know how far that I was saying that I feel bad when I hear these stories about ghost children because you know you're thinking yeah I know a lot of times a lot of them are you know I don't know for some reason people think it's really scary when they you talk about you know they talk they tell stories about ghost children but personally I think if there's any truth to them I think it's very sad because as an adult if for whatever They're reason lost. you're haunting it's like okay you're an adult you know but when it's a child
2: yeah
1: you're responsible if you're an adult
0: <laughs> well you know like i say you know if, if you're an old owner and you don't want to give up your house or you're grumpy you know or you just like didn't you missed the part about where you died and you're still hanging out as an adult it's different but when it's a child that's you know that's very sad personally uh, it is i i agree with that yeah and uh and now uh, have you have you ever gone anywhere, and I'm going to say with your husband, because he's to some place. Obviously, he's not looking to have an encounter where, let's say, either you're on vacation or you're staying at a hotel or some place where he's had an experience.
1: Yeah, he has. Um, I, I will say one thing. Um, he tries to avoid places that would have negative energy Okay. because of hitchhikers. Um, hitchhikers are ghosts that kind of tag along with you, um, yes. and you don't want a hitchhiker.
0: Um,
1: yes. In fact, after the first book was published, uh, a, a television show called us up and asked if my husband would uh, go into places that had, like, really bad energy, like prisons and insane mm-hmm. asylums and stuff like that, and be the psychic for the show. And he said, are you crazy? Do you know how harmful that is? Yes. You don't want to be around that energy. Yes. Uh, he, he said no. He had no interest in that. Um, right. But, yeah, I mean, you know, you can get a hitchhiker, and they can be very hard to get rid of.
0: Well, um, and- and I'm glad you pointed that out because, you know, everybody thinks that all ghosts are made alike and not. And it's you're absolutely right. If let's say you go to some you know, one of these historic homes, for example, and you do have a ghost there, maybe it's just somebody that used to live there, you know. Not a bad person, just somebody that wants right. to hang out. For whatever reason, you know. Whether it was a lady of the house or maybe a servant, because I had I interviewed somebody who his ghost uh he um He had an older home uh, from the turn of the century in Louisville and who he turned out was haunting. It was one of the servant girls. But anyway, but that's a different quality of of haunting or ghost from when, like you said, you go to an asylum or one of these prisons.
1: Yeah, this is a place where people were not, they were already not okay. Mm
0: -hmm, You know what I mean? Like before they
1: died, they were not okay. Yes. So you really just don't want to do stuff like that. Yes.
0: Yes, I agree what they what whatever was going on with them to begin with plus their experiences because let's face it you know a lot of these asylums people would basically live out their lives there same thing with some of these prisons where you know they would go in there and they they had their experiences while they were there were pretty horrific when you you know so yeah the like the quality of whoever whatever is left behind is absolutely negative I mean, there's, it doesn't take a stretch of yeah, the imagination. Yeah, you don't want to be there.
1: You don't want to be there. Uh, no. And, you know, some. it's kind of funny. Um, I had an experience when I was in college, and, you know, even though I don't consider myself to be terribly psychic, I do remember it, and I wrote about it in, I don't know which book. <laughs> okay. I, I wrote two books, and I can't remember which which stories are in which book, but um, I went to the University of South Carolina, and just as a kind of a, you know how kids college kids pile into a car and they do silly things oh of course. and uh they said oh let's let's go to the prison graveyard um <laughs> you know uh i heard that you could go to and in those days things were not locked up the way they are today like everything was open yes and so we started going down this dirt road um around the, uh, the perimeter of the prison and um as we're going One of the things that I just remember, and and it creeped all of us out, is the closer we got to this graveyard, the darker it was. Like, this was a sunny South Carolina day. Oh. And suddenly there were just many more trees overhanging, and it became very dark. And when we finally got to this graveyard, um, you could feel how... I don't know how to describe the energy, because it's hard to describe energy, but it was very heavy mm-hmm. and very ominous. And we turned that car around, and we, we, right. we... I tailed it out of there. And it was so weird, because as we were getting farther and farther away from this graveyard, it got lighter and lighter and lighter, and suddenly, boom, all the trees were gone, and we were into that nice, sunny day again. Yep. But I'll never forget that experience, because, you know, even without being highly psychic, I could... See and feel how oppressive it was.
0: Right,
1: your you intuition
0: know. was telling you. You know what? This is not a place for the living. Get out. Well, they,
1: they, these were people who had either been executed yeah. or um, had no one to claim them when yes. they died yes. in prison, and so they were not going to be happy. There was mm-hmm. not going to be a lot of happy <laughs> energy no, of going not. on there.
0: Of course not. They, they you know, um, and and uh, that's that's you know that's what you find. I, I mean. I did research, and a lot of people don't even realize that some of these asylums, you know, unfortunately, about the majority of these people, the family, you know, once they passed away, their their family wouldn't or couldn't claim the bodies, and some of these uh, asylums would basically donate the bodies for medical research. And some right. people they say, "Well, bury them on the okay." Premises. And I'm thinking, "Okay, this is not where some people voluntarily say, hey, you know, but I want to give my body off.' Plus, these I don't were even from think a time legal anymore."
1: I don't even think that's legal anymore. Oh really?
0: Oh, but it was. It, it,
1: it, they used to, anything went in the old days. As far know, as what you
0: volunteering your body for for research, you mean? Yeah.
2: I've well, you know what? In, in I want to say
0: like, uh, God, ten years ago, sometimes I'm, I'm or more, fifteen years ago, I. I, was into, I went to a university down here because I was doing part of an anatomy class and they had some bodies that basically were, these people had, because it said it on there, you know, they had given their bodies over for science and they were partially desiccated and, you know, part of them, you know, they were basically, so you could see some of the internal organs, etc. and they would describe who they had been, what they had done, what they had died of, so you could see what happens. Let's say, for example, there was, uh one corpse the gentleman had smoked and you know it could oh, show yeah
1: i'm sure you can see the effect of but that. it was
0: but my point was back then people did it people didn't want to have their bodies <laughs> that done to them okay so i'm thinking god that's a recipe for talk about somebody that maybe not was not happy in life certainly wasn't happy in death to have their bodies well if they were
1: following yeah if they were following their body around which yes given happy?
0: off to be cut up because back then you people were horrified as a matter of fact you you know you read about those grave robbers and etc where people made so many efforts you know not to have their loved one's oh, body yeah. stolen because yep. the universities needed them this was a very horrific thing yep
1: that happened a lot in England, in particular.
0: Yes, yeah. and uh, a lot of people think that it's like, yeah, because back then, and they, not until they passed certain laws, and you know, the these universities, they were they needed bodies so that they could practice their anatomy back then, and it's like, you know, but at the same time, you know, uh, what you were saying as far as um, even though your husband has not gone out purposely, has he ever gone to some place? innocently and ever had a negative experience unexpectedly yeah uh we
1: were on vacation in puerto rico okay and outside of the church waiting outside of the church it didn't go into it was a a spirit that um because my husband was in a in a bad emotional state he was very sad about something um it attached to him and he it came home with us and it took him quite a few i'm trying to think i guess it took him about a month to get rid of it um but the weird thing about it was um before it left he asked it why it wouldn't go away and it said talk to your father call your father wow and um so he did he he talked to his father he had a wonderful conversation with him his father was not the most communicative person and uh Steve had always been sad about that. He wanted to have a relationship with him. And they had the most wonderful one or two hour conversation on the phone. And his father said, I'm going to come by and we'll have lunch next week. And Steve was really excited about that. And about three or four days later, uh, his father died. (gasps) Um, So that was his last conversation with his father. And it ended up being uh, at least a a positive closure. Yes. You know, the two of them finally had that conversation he'd always wanted to have. Yes. God. So
2: it
1: was kind of interesting even though this guy and this guy who had hitchhiked onto him was a smoker so wherever steve went and steve is not a smoker um there was cigarette smoke you could smell it i could smell oh, it even though i'm wow um so that's what really annoyed steve you know he said to the guy you gotta go <laughs> <laughs> yes like thanks but and he did go after after steve's father passed and that, so that was kind of interesting
0: isn't that and in- you know, you hear so many times people that their loved ones pass away, and they never have that conversation that you just described. Yeah, you it know. was it
1: was pretty remarkable. Um, he needed that, so even though this guy was incredibly irritating, uh, but,
0: <laughs> um, you know, he did he did help him out. You know what? But that brings up such an interesting thing because you know what, Louisa, we always think of if you know if you ever have a, a helper, or whatever you want to call it, from the other side, it's going to be a being of light. And he yeah, really had and this deceased ex-smoker that smelled like an ashtray. <laughs> yeah, and he, he always had wanted to see the U.S. That's why he came home with us, apparently.
2: Are you That's kidding? What he yeah,
1: he'd always <laughs> want, but he had to come with somebody. He didn't know how to get here from there. Wow.
0: Isn't yeah. that interesting? So he, I hope he had
1: a nice tour. <laughs> it was like,
0: okay, pro quo. You brought me over. I'm going to give you a tip. Talk to your dad. Yeah, pretty much so, yeah. Interesting. That is so, so interesting. I find that. And
1: it's funny. I I have a story, I think this is from my first book, about how um, people often get, well, well, all right, I won't say often, some people often get premonitions that can really make a huge difference in their life. And I have a story um, of this young lady named Linda, and she's a wax specialist. I'm not exactly sure where the wax specialist is, but it probably has something to do with taking wax off your legs. Um, and um, the name of this story is called Dodging Bullets. Um, now, Linda gets dreams all the time. And when she first started to get them, she didn't really pay attention to them. They were pretty vivid dreams, but she just didn't quite get why she was getting these dreams. So this one night, um, she had a dream and she woke up crying hysterically and shaking, and her husband woke her up and said, you know, hey, what's wrong, and she was socializing with a group of people, and suddenly a man entered the room, brandishing a gun, and began shooting. They all hit the floor to avoid the shower of bullets, and amid the confusion, she desperately searched for her husband, and she couldn't find him, and then she woke up, and that's why she was so upset, and he said, well, honey, it's just a dream. She said yeah you're right well coincidentally (laughs) the next night linda and her husband went to a club in philadelphia with some friends and a short time after they were seated she suddenly got this deja vu feeling and she turned to her husband and insisted they had to leave and her husband said let me just have one more beer and uh, she said no we have to leave now and she was so insistent that her husband and her friends, who now are thinking there's something wrong with this woman, uh, got up, and they, and the, as they were walking out, they saw two men in a parking lot near the club fighting over a woman. One of the men left, and they're walking down the street, and she's kind of hurrying them. She wants them to get away from this place. A few minutes later, they heard gunshots ring out in the parking lot and saw people stampeding down the street. Linda and her husband and their friends ran as far away from the scene as they could. The next day, she heard on the news that the man who had left got angry and returned with a gun and began shooting. Oh. She doesn't remember if anyone was killed, but she said the dream taught her and her husband to listen to the messages they receive, regardless of how they may come. If she gets a dream or a feeling about a place,
0: they respect that. I believe it. I'm sure that if her friends are out there, like, "Hey, can we stay here? Is it cool? <laughs> like, oh, yeah. How do you feel about this place?" <laughs> but that is a great story. That is a fantastic story. I just enjoy these stories. But
1: both of my books have more than a hundred stories because I just really enjoy gathering them. A lot of books will give you like several chapters, and then they'll give you six stories or something like that. Right. And my entire book is an anthology of stories because who wants to read the you know an introduction or a conclusion? They want to read the stories. Exactly. So that's that's what I have in the
0: books. And and I think that like you know to me personally like you know there's certain and I want to say historical locations or like you said you know asylums or these you know these prisons you know whatever that they're real gothic and scary looking and of course and i'm thinking about yeah all right all right all right the ones i like are these stories exactly like what you just described this is an everyday person okay an ordinary regular person in other words yeah, and, and,
1: and these are just everyday people who are exactly. going about their lives and these
0: weird things are happening. Yes, and things, know? it's like, no, she, she didn't, she wasn't in a notoriously haunted location or, you know, uh, like she didn't go to uh, the, you know, some Chicago mob place that was known for being, yeah. It's like she just had this dream and uh, she had this, thankfully she listened because they say a lot of times people, when they have these intuitions or these dreams or these flashes of, like, get out of here, that, that gut feeling, a lot of people, unfortunately, dismiss it, thinking, oh, well, you know. someone on the
1: other side is trying to tip you off. That's basically what's going on. Yes. You know, you're fed things. You know, just like, um, I remember somebody, like the stupid comment I made to the psychic about, well, if you're so psychic, can you tell me who I'm going to marry? Psychics don't know anything. All they know is whatever information someone on the other side is feeding them. So they yes. don't really know anything. They're just the postman, you know, or the postwoman. Um, so that's kind of a misunderstanding people have. They can't give you anything that hasn't been handed to them. Exactly. So they really don't know everything, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> which is kind of interesting, right. you know. But,
0: you know, if you're being sarcastic, you don't realize that. Right. And you're thinking, oh, yeah, right, you know. and They could be having an off day or, you know, like you said there, and then the person is saying, yeah, yeah, right, yeah, okay, yeah. You're so psychic, you can't tell me. Whatever, and uh, I don't know. I'm sure you've seen that movie, you know, Steven Spielberg's Poltergeist, where, yes. you know, he th- built the family's on an ex- Indian
1: graveyard, <laughs> right? Well, the
0: the you know the family's g- g- getting these horrific uh, e- events, and you know, I can't remember what was her name, the 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 one the little lady that portrayed the psychic, and how when she gets there, the husband is testing her like, oh, can't you read my mind? You know, Yeah, that's nonsense and I'm thinking to myself okay you you know you just you know according to the movie of course your kid got sucked into another dimension (laughs) you're questioning if this lady can read your mind because you don't believe in psychics hello
1: (laughs) well and you know there are some people who you could smack them in the face with with something that is overtly hey there's a ghost it could be floating in front of them and they're like I don't believe it and I think that it's very healthy to be skeptical, but yes. it's also very healthy to have an open mind. Sure. So there's that balance, you know, of, of both. I have, I have one celebrity story, if I can tell that hey, one. Yes,
0: absolutely. Um,
1: I don't know a lot of celebrities, but I just happen to have gone to high school with somebody who's an actor in, in California. And I don't know if any of your viewers ever watched something called SWAT. Um, yes, I But so. he is an actor on SWAT. Okay. Um, his his name is Peter Onorati, and he's also been in a lot of films and stuff. But here's my only claim to fame. Um, but he was kind enough to share a story with me okay. because, you know, we're fra- Facebook friends, and I said, hey, I'm writing a book. <laughs> he By said, the All way, right, I got to have very
2: good stories.
1: And this story is called Last Dance. Um, and um, it's about a friend of his that had a bigger than life personality and how, um, you know, basically what how that bigger than life energy um manifested itself through space and time um his good friend gary uh was someone that he had gone to high school with but didn't know him during high school you know how that goes yes um but they got to know each other after high school and um peter actually got a job with um gary's father and they both were working for his father Um, but they were very mismatched as friends. They were, you know, Peter is short with dark Italian features, and he likes to say he's vertically challenged. Um, (laughs) He's a stocky guy, um, very muscly. And and then there was Gary, who had the light brown hair, the hazel eyes, and he was a thick six-foot build. And, uh, you know, Gary used to take pleasure in busting Peter on just about everything, including his appearance. Uh, He used to smoke cigarettes, uh, and that, you know, Peter hated that um, and he used to like to irritate Peter with that <laughs> and he also had a nickname for him um, he used to call Peter the face and that's because Peter not doesn't necessarily have a beautiful face but he's a character actor okay. so he has a face um, and that's probably one of the reasons why he's successful in Hollywood because he has a very unusual face you yes. know, he's been on Sex and the City he was one of the boyfriends and all sorts of stuff Um okay. But um, the two young men spent the 70s prowling disco clubs together and generally having a good time. That's what people did in the 70s. And Eventually, Gary's father, um, you know, got Peter a good job at the Ford Motor Company, and Gary decided to become a hairstylist. Um, And he, you know, Peter remembered, he always had perfect hair. You know, he always had a handsome face, and if he'd lost some weight, he could have been a model. He was that nice looking. but despite having come from a hardworking, well-to-do family, Gary sometimes lacked motivation. He was a free spirit, and he was doing a few things that Peter didn't know about. Um, and Peter says, I guess he was hoping to make the same money and live the same lifestyle his father had without traveling the whole road. You know, he's like trying to take shortcuts. And, mm-hmm. and one day, um, gary uh, I'm sorry, Peter's boss came over and said to him, and this is obviously before he went into acting, um, did you hear about Gary? And he told Peter that Gary had been found dead of a drug overdose in a stairwell in Harlem, New York. Oh, He was only 26 years old, and Peter was devastated. Um, and Peter said, you know, it was murder. Um, he had a big mouth with no filters, and someone probably wanted to get rid of him. But that night, Peter was so upset that he fell asleep on his parents' rec room floor, holding hands with his girlfriend while she slept on the couch. Then, in the dead of night, something strange happened. He said, I heard the phone ring in the kitchen. No one else heard it. He did, though, so he got up to answer it. It didn't make sense, but somehow he understood who was on the other end of the phone line. He said, as I walked upstairs, I knew I had to answer the phone. I I lifted the receiver and didn't even get to say hello when Gary said, hey, face. What did you think? I went someplace. I didn't go no place. I'm still here. And he said, well, what are you talking about? And he said, don't worry about me. And he hung up. And Peter was stunned. You know, he said, I'm, I may not be the most spiritual person, but I do have a very good physical awareness. I know I got up. I know I answered the phone. And I know I spoke to my friends. He still looks back with fondness on, on the times the two of them spent together, um, you know. But okay. he also remembers with amusement how his mischievous friend Gary, despite his untimely death, still managed to
0: get in the last word. <laughs> and did he, did the that's that's almost like to let him know, like, it's good, I'm good. That's essentially what he was
1: doing. He was he was letting them know that despite the fact that he had come to a bad end, I mean, at the age of 26, to, to end your, you have your life dead end at 26 is extremely sad. Yes. Um, but he just wanted, I, I mean, and that may have been, I, I don't like to overdo the the fate type of thing because I do think that there's a lot of wiggle room. Mm-hmm. But it may have been that he had learned whatever he came here to learn, and he left. Yeah. You know, and some people believe that, and some people don't, and that's okay. But um, you know, it's just kind of interesting to think about.
0: Yes, of course, and it's like well, and it's like one of those things of like choices that you make, like what you said that you know, and this is this is where that road led and like you said maybe this is but I I've heard so often about that Louisa where you have and you know there's a for all the people that it happens to there's a lot of people that it doesn't and they they want to know why they don't get either that dream or that moment where they have that resolution or that person that something happened to says hey I'm okay you know yeah uh, I mean it I actually,
1: oddly enough, had that with my father when he passed. I was very close to my father, and I remember, uh, and again, see, I'm not terribly psychic, but, but there I go. Um, mm-hmm. I had, um, you, you, have you ever heard of lucid dreams? Yes. Um, well, now, the difference between a lucid dream and a regular dream is not only does it feel extremely real, but there's a logic to it. It isn't like in highly symbolic or strange things going on right. in weird order. It's very logical. And about three or four months after my father passed, I'm, like, very sad and, like, why can't I hear from you, you know? um, I feel sad. Where are you? I'd I'd like to think you went somewhere and that this isn't the end. Mm -hmm. And one night um, I had this dream where my father said, uh, come with me. I want to show you something. And it was very lucid. And uh, he took me to this place. It was a very beautiful place where the colors were just beyond any color that you can imagine in this world. They were so intense. Wow. And when I entered that place with him, I just got this feeling of incredible bliss. I mean, I don't even know how to describe it. Everything mm-hmm. was okay. You just knew everything was okay. Right. It was, a, it was a, almost like a morphine bliss. And um, uh, he kind of took me around. He said, this is where I am, I'm doing fine, you know? And he seemed pretty happy. But the thing that was remarkable to me was that after this dream ended, that feeling of bliss lasted for several days. Wow. And I'd never had anything like that before. And to have that type of feeling and to have it stay with me for so long, something that I wasn't accustomed to, was was really very interesting.
0: Right, And you have a lot of those people that have those near-death experiences that describe something very similar as in almost that they come back either unwillingly or because maybe they've left behind spouses or children but that they so desperately want to stay where they're at because they're so happy because there everything is or they're needed yeah or they're yeah of course yeah. but not because it's like if I really had a choice and I didn't have to worry about who I'm leaving behind I would stay here you know or yeah. they're told no and it's not your time
1: oh yeah my husband was pushed away once he he had a near death experience oh, he, did? And he wanted to stay and he was told he had to go. It wasn't his time. Right. Right. <laughs> um, it's kind of interesting. This kind of leads into something else that that um, I had. And I, this, is my second, actually, no, this is in my second book. I actually know this is in my second book because I have a lot of studies, scientific studies, in my second book about the paranormal. Things that I felt were not just somebody walking around with a microphone but really interesting studies. Okay. And um, this is from the University of Virginia, which does a lot of paranormal studies, believe it or not. Okay. Um, the Division of Perceptual Studies. And they have postulated that consciousness actually resides outside of the brain, not in the brain. And you might say, well, how can that be? Mm-hmm. Um, well, bear in mind that... Um, no one has ever proven that consciousness actually exists in, in the brain. It's right. uh, a theory called the emergent property that scientists have thrown together. And that theory is, well, individual cells don't have consciousness, but you throw them all together and then they do. <laughs> well that doesn't explain much. But right. they feel based on four um, four areas of proof uh, that they consider to be proof. Um, that actually the consciousness does exist outside of the brain just as when somebody calls you on a cell phone they're not inside the cell phone the cell phone is simply the conduit um, for them to communicate through and it's the same with the brain the the brain isn't where the consciousness resides it's the Mm -hmm. conduit so here are the four things that they gave as four lines of evidence the first one is called deathbed lucidity and this has been reported in medical journals for more than 250 years so it's been around for a while and what that is, is in the hours before death, a patient who previously had no or little mental functioning due to some sort of neurological problems, psychiatric disorders, uh, tumors, strokes, dementia, schizophrenia, you name it,
2: mm-hmm. they just
1: could not communicate. Suddenly, they're able to communicate with an incredible mental clarity, and um, and there's one study of dementia caregivers in the united kingdom seventy percent of patients with dementia became completely lucid in the hours before death now why well researchers suggested obviously we don't know why that while a damaged brain may keep a person from thinking as it dies consciousness may be released from expressing itself through the brain which i thought was kind of interesting right um... now a second line of evidence is consciousness without a brain now what is that There was a young lady who had very high intelligence she was like an honor roll student and she was in an accident and they decided just for insurance purposes to do an mri of her brain okay um what they found was that she only had a brain stem no brain now there's no you know from a medical standpoint there's no reason why she should be able to think at all um uh, but she did uh so that would imply that okay consciousness is not completely in the brain um, and that's not an isolated incident. They've, there have been other incidents of that because these days everybody's doing MRIs. Um, then the third area of evidence was near-death experiences. Um, and by the way, all of these were gathered by the late Dr. Ian Stevenson, who was the director of the Division of Perceptual yes. Studies at the University of Virginia. Uh-huh. Um, now, probably your audience is quite familiar with uh, near-death experience or NDEs, And that's basically when somebody's pronounced clinically dead and then resuscitated. Right. And NDEs are the memories of what they experienced during the time that they were clinically dead. Now, there's this um, uh, line of thinking that, oh, well, people really do, they're not really dead when they're pronounced dead. They, you know, they can still perceive things. That may be true. Uh, And that would certainly account for whatever they uh, perceived around them in the room. Mm -hmm. But there have been a lot of instances where people went out of body and could tell you what was going on miles away. Yes. So that would imply that uh, this isn't a a hallucination or an active brain after a declaration of death. Somebody actually left their body. You know, their consciousness was not tethered to their
0: body. Exactly. Um, They, they, They talk about that they saw their families who were maybe down a hallway. Exactly. In fact, I
1: have a story of a little girl who was operated on, and she, uh, when she went unconscious, she went out of body, and she wanted to find her parents, because why wouldn't a child want to find their parents? And she found them in the cafeteria eating soup and crying, and when she told them later on, that freaked them out, um, because she was right. Um, And then the fourth line of evidence is past life memories. And the researchers at the University of Virginia studied 2,416 cases of very young children who remembered past lives. They spontaneously started talking about past lives between the ages of 2 and 5, and these memories faded by the time they were between the ages of 6 and 9 years old. These children often lived in remote villages and gave evidence of memories from people who lived too far away for them to have known the information. In many cases, the previous person's existence was verified and the children recognized and named relatives and friends.
0: So I found found that somewhat interesting as well. Right, yeah, because, yeah, it's around age of seven that we develop that filter. In other words, that we start questioning and deciding that it's just our imagination. The one
1: one foot in, one foot out theory. You know, when you're just entering this world, you have one foot in this world and one foot in in the other side. And when you're just leaving this world, when you're old, you have one foot in the other side and one foot here. So those are the times when, you know, you're more likely to be able to perceive things. So I found that kind of interesting. I mean, of course, that's just a theory, but well, uh, an interesting
0: one. Um, <clears throat> I had a guest, which she's a lady. She she works in a paranormal group out of Chicago, the Chicagoland area. But you know, in in the, her other life, she's a hospice nurse, and she had told me that <clears throat> some patients she's worked with them for years. You know, in other words, it's not like she just came in at the tail end of when they're in the dying process. Right. And she told me, she goes, you know what, <clears throat> I know when they're going to be dying shortly. And I say, how's that? She goes, well, because they will start talking to or uh, see, or saying that they see certain people. And she goes, some of them I already know when they say certain names because I'm familiar with them and their families. Right. That who they're describing or talking about by name is somebody that's already passed away. She says, and
1: they're coming. They're they're excited because they're gonna have a right. reunion. And
0: she says, as soon as I hear them start talking that way, I know that they're gonna be dying pretty soon. She goes because they might be sick, but she says partially that clarity that you were describing, and then they either are talking to or about seeing this person or persons that have already passed away. She goes after having done this for so many years, I know that they're gonna be dying.
1: There's a lot of people in healthcare who have. Um quite a perception. I mean, one of the women in my book, um, is she works in, um, old age homes and she loves her patients. And sometimes they come back and give her little signals that they're okay. And she just, she's such a loving person. It's the type of person you'd like taking care of your loved ones, mm-hmm. you know? Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's fairly amazing. I have a really funny story, funny, peculiar, I guess there's, uh, of all the people I interviewed, cause I, I interviewed quite a few people for the two books. Each, each book has like 100 stories in it, actually more than 100. Okay. Um, there was only one person who freaked out after she saw what I'd written and said, no, don't include that in your book. And, of course, I honored it. Uh-huh. And I'm not going to tell you this. I'm not going to recite the story she told me, but I can tell you a little bit about her because it's interesting in a generic okay. way. Um, she was a medical doctor. And she worked in a palliative care wing of a hospital, a very well-known, modern, all-the-bills-and-whistles hospital, Okay, Okay. very well-respected hospital. And um, she's psychic. She could see people after they passed, as could some of her nurses. And um, she said to me, you know, the hospital probably wouldn't like people to know this, but once a month, we have a priest come in here and help all the lost souls cross over. Because if we didn't, it would be really crowded here. I bet. I bet. But, but I mean, think about that. That's an ultra modern hospital, and they're doing that. Right, and they keep it on the down low. Oh yeah, they don't want people to find out. Well, and, and I thought that was fascinating.
0: You know, and and I've talked to other people, and those I've talked to people that work at hospitals, especially the ones that do the overnight, you know, shifts, which is of course when everything quiets down because there's obviously less people running around, and they'll a lot of people that I've talked to that they have stories which they say that they see certain things some of them kind of scary but that they know that you know and 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 i think i don't know whether it's because sometimes you know people are medicated very heavily or they just slip away and they kind of don't realize that they're dead kind of thing yeah um and they kind of are wandering around thinking why doesn't anybody talk you know why does not anybody acknowledge me and I yeah, think they're that's, just,
1: they're not getting that. And of course, time ceases once you die. So you yes. don't realize
0: if, if it's a year or a hundred years. Right. And it's like you, I guess to some people, you know, especially if you would think, well, how would you not know that you're dead? But you might be just confused. and Well, like if you, you don't said,
1: believe in an afterlife, then you wouldn't, there's no reason why yes. you should think you're it's dead. It's like, right? yeah,
0: exactly. Like, hey, I thought I was, once I took the dirt nap, that's it. <laughs> the lights out. Yeah my
1: husband can't stand hospitals they're too crowded
0: oh i believe you it. Know? i believe um, it, he really definitely.
1: i i mean i went in for a procedure and, and my daughter came with me because my husband just couldn't handle it you yes. know? i mean if i'm sure if there was something really important he would have come with me but it's not he doesn't like that environment well, at all
0: yeah because you absolutely you have people that in a hospital that they had suffered uh, a severe accident and they died suddenly like or, well um... he
1: said he feels all the fear. Yeah. Of when he, course. it's a place of fear. Yes. You know, it's not a very warm place a lot of times. I'm not trying to criticize hospitals. Oh no, no, absolutely not. But let, let's be honest. Um it's it, it can be scary, you may not understand everything that's going on, people may not be warmly responding to you. Mm-hmm. Um, when you're sick you need that. Yes. Um so it's and it's a very antiseptic, white, you know, unpleasant place to be.
2: So oh, yes. there's
1: a lot of fear and he feels that fear when he walks in even though the people may be gone their fear can still hang out. Sure.
0: Sure. It's it's I say it's almost exactly like most dogs going to the vet is a problem because they feel the fear and they're an animal. But they oh, yeah. that, that's why a lot of animals or I'm using dogs as an example are very resistant to like as a matter of fact myself I know I have that experience is that once the animal knows where either they sent it or they get there, they're like, ah, I don't want to go in there. <laughs> because they feel the the fear. The fear. Yeah, You know, yeah, they equate not, it to, a that's, place the, to that's the bad place to go to.
1: Yeah, well, they also equate it with, oh, I'm going to get shots or whatever. I'm going
0: to get a shot, whatever, yeah. you know, they're going to, take poop out of my butt, you know, <laughs> all the stuff that they do to these <laughs> poor animals. Oh the indignity of it all. Indignity of it all. I can tell you, yes, like and uh yes, and it's for human beings. I think even if there is that it's that, that if you want to call it a psychic imprint or an emotional imprint on the fabric of the place where You know it's just repeated over so many versions of it that yeah especially when you have somebody like your husband that's that's sensitive to it so i can imagine for him it's like oh no no not there oh yeah i mean he there are
1: places i I mean one of the things i wrote about in the book because somebody said well what's it like living with somebody psychic and so i had like a section in my second book about that because i kept getting that whenever i went for book signings so i said all right let me answer that in the second book you know um it it's not convenient (laughs) <laughs> right. Because, uh, you know, one of the places that he oftentimes uh, senses negative feeling is malls. Yes. Um, and we'll be walking in a mall, and he'll turn to me and say, got to go. And if we don't, he'll get physically ill. And, I mean, we went into a town one time. The entire town he got that wow. feeling. So we drove out of that town. Um, right. And it's it was a very upscale town, so it's kind of bizarre. Um, yeah. But there are certain places where he feels negative energy concentrated Mm -hmm. and he cannot be around those places. They're it's not good for him.
0: Well, let's face it. Even, you know, you think, well, you know, just because you see somebody acting normally or they look okay, you have really sometimes no idea what's going on for them, for that person, either a moment they're going on in their personal lives or just the person they are. Oh I mean, yeah, looks can be I, yeah. deceiving in that case, is what I'm saying, and yeah. You know, yeah, I totally agree with that. Yeah, they, they, the, and somebody sensitive. I can see absolutely um, where, for some people, let me ask you, how does he do going to funeral homes? I imagine he's not too keen on that either, right?
1: He's not too keen on that. No. Uh, yeah, I can imagine. It's funny. He had a a friend who worked uh, a psychic friend who worked for a while for a funeral home, and he had to stop. <laughs> He said there was this one closet in the funeral home that he kept passing, and all he felt was anger. And he was trying to figure out why would there be anger, like really, really intense anger coming out of this closet. And he asked them, what do you keep in that closet? Because it was locked. They said, oh, those are the urns of all the unclaimed babies. (gasps) Um, Some people, um, you know, they just don't claim the babies, and they... Uh, you know they didn't have any opinion about it one way or the other because they weren't psychic but he could feel how angry those babies were that no one had ever claimed them um, yes for whatever
0: reason exactly Um, for whatever reason exactly and isn't that of all probably and exactly what you said of all the places that you would think anger it's like the closet you know what do i have an upset janitor you know like what's going on yeah what's going on in that closet yeah, exactly. but he didn't
1: he didn't know what they stored in there. And I guess they locked it for whatever reason, you know, yeah. so he couldn't explore himself. But
0: yeah, so that's kind of sad, actually. Absolutely. You know? It's very, you know, and um, I think that they're that, you know, I've heard of uh, that's why they say some some funeral homes. Um, they do have. Yeah, you would think, well, you know, it's like it's transitory. But in this case, what you were describing is that that's why it was there, because this stayed there. Yeah, that is yeah. That is such a that's a very interesting story. A little bit sad, but very interesting.
1: It uh, is sad, but you know, you you don't know. Maybe they couldn't afford to bury the child, yes. or maybe it was so painful that they just, you know, walked away. I, I, who knows?
0: Well, you know what? And one time I was doing a little bit of research on you know uh, on these. Well, they. On that, once upon a time they were called pauper's graves but you know it's a cemetery where the medical examiners you know when they have remains sometimes you know they have unidentified victims and in some cases they have people that die with it you know doesn't have to be anything violent but they just die but f- for some reason the family can't even afford to bury them and you know they have a uh, cemeteries they have where they deal. bury them now nowadays what they I think I want to say there's different locations have different um, different rules like I know I think in LA they hold them for like the bodies for like three years and then they cremate them and then they bury them like in the equivalent of a pauper's grave but yeah that happens quite a lot that uh, there's just no or in some cases sometimes they even have victims they have no idea who this person is Um, whether it was of you know person that was a victim of a violent crime or sometimes people die and they don't have any good id or they don't have any nobody to come and say yeah that's so and so you know so you know luckily if you want to look at it that way you know sometimes not with dna you know you might be able to track a deceased relative years later but i you know throughout the years a lot of times uh that's more common than people think where if you had nobody to come and claim you that was it.
1: yeah well throughout history yes you know, throughout history, most people have not had graves yeah. yes of
0: course of course and again I'm going to state it you know nowadays we've become very modern as far as how we dispose of our loved ones whether it's a burial mm-hmm. or cremation but once upon a time regardless of sometimes even your your religious beliefs, people really cared about what happened to their bodies after they died and i say like, if you don't believe me go to some of these cement, older cemeteries and look at the memorials people would do
1: oh and they don't they would take care of their loved one and wash them and and they'd be yes. sitting in the parlor The you know the the parlor was where the body would be for however long
0: right. and
1: um you know everything was done from the home it was uh, done from they, the
2: home
1: there was actually a people were actually offended when
0: uh, you know
1: initially when loved ones were taken outside of the home for that sort of stuff but now we're used to it
0: well it's um and i remember my i'm gonna interject is when you say that i remember uh my grandmother uh she says that when she was she, you know and this, this is another thing by the way long once upon a time people were very young they were handling stuff that nowadays you'd be going huh and she had she she was I want to say in her early 20s but she was already married and had my mom and my aunt they were little kids and she had a neighbor who was also a young lady and she was very sick I can't remember if she said that the girl had tuberculosis because I want to say this had to have been around maybe the 1930s when TB was still kind of like yeah but um, I remember her telling me that this lady asked her look uh, I, I'm going to ask you as a favor. Can when I pass away, uh, I'm going to leave my clothing. She was married, but I guess her husband wasn't going to handle it. Who knows? Can you come over and can can you dress me, get me ready for burial? And my grandmother did it, and she. It wasn't like oh my god, like a horrific thing. It was something that
1: now people do that all the time. You did
0: it. That was how it was
1: done. Yeah, yeah. But it's. Uh, I, I'd like to just. Um, kind of change direction a little bit because there's there's one uh... experiment i wanted to share with you that i thought was kind of fun and maybe less gloomy Um, this is uh... something about the power of intention uh... which i find very interesting And we've kind of talked a little bit about that earlier um... but i like this because it it's a scientific double-blind experiment that they did on the power of intention and this was done in China, but also Dean Radin, who you may be familiar with, he's written a lot of books on uh, paranormal, he was involved with it, um, and basically what they asked uh, in the study was, is one of the major ingredients in your mother's homemade chicken soup her loving intentions? Is that what makes you well? So they set out to assess that possibility with a double-blind scientific study uh-huh. of 189 adults from Taiwan, but instead of chicken soup, the volunteers were given two types of tea to drink over a three-day period. One type of tea was treated, in other words, blessed, by Buddhist monks with good intentions. And the other was left untreated. There was nothing wrong with it. they just It just didn't receive all the blessings. Uh-huh. So the participants didn't know which tea they were receiving. And here are the results. The tea treated with good intentions improved mood More than ordinary tea derived from the same source. So everyone who was drinking the tea that had the good intentions had a much higher mood. Belief that one was drinking treated tea, um, the participants were asked to guess, produced a larger improvement in mood, but only if one was actually drinking the treated tea, indicating that belief and intention um, interact to enhance an experience. Uh, and it's worth noting that uh, everyone, whether they thought they were drinking treated tea or not, who didn't drink treated tea, had lower mood. So
0: right. I thought that was kind of interesting so that's a, that is such an interesting study. and so basically, so what did they have? They had a group that was told you gave me the tea, but and it wasn't the Well, actually tea. they
1: weren't they weren't told what they, they were they would getting. just
0: be drinking it.
1: They'd be drinking it, and, and during the study, they were asked, do you think you're drinking the treated tea or do you think you're not drinking the treated tea? Okay. Okay, and those people who were drinking the treated tea and believed they were drinking the treated tea had the highest mood boost. Right. The, the second highest was people who were drinking the treated tea but didn't believe that they were drinking it. Right. And then the lowest was people who were drinking the untreated tea, whether they believed they were or not. Right, so exactly. So I just thought that
0: was interesting. I find that extremely interesting because this is the thing, you know. Because, you know, we could go into you know the placebo effect about people thinking, you know, believing something, you know. And, well, that's and, why they have bl-
1: double-blind studies, to right? And the uh,
0: of that. and in reality, like you said, it's the actual <laughs> treated tea plus the belief or the you know, it's that that's the you know, obviously it got the best results. So it's both a things. positive attitude, you oh. know,
1: uh, having a positive attitude in life enhances life absolutely you
0: know, so. I, i'm a big proponent i'm a big believer in what they call a psychology of happiness <laughs> that there's so there's and by this i mean and i don't mean people go running around going ha ha ha, ha you know but there's so many um uh, health benefits if you if you want to look at besides the emotional benefits i think to trying to be happy uh, that
1: yeah I, it doesn't hurt to have a positive attitude if you can muster no. it I mean, obviously, some people can, some people can't, and it's not a big deal, you know. You have to be who
0: you are. I think that uh, some people, don't get me wrong, I think that, you know, like I said, I don't think you're going to go running around, you know, like, hey, you know. But um, if you try to have a positive outlook, you know, one of two things is going to happen. When something negative comes along, you're either going to find a solution to it, or you see the possibilities of finding a solution to it. Versus if you're already not supposed to be things that think positively, when you do run into a problem, then it just takes on insurmountable proportions. And, of course, you become very unhappy because you're thinking, you know, I think happiness and hopefulness and all that other stuff makes for a happier human being in the end.
1: Oh, yeah, you can, you can, uh, everybody's going to be pelted with positive and negative experiences. Which ones do you absorb? Right. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah, like, you can, like
1: you can let them run off of you or you can absorb them and, and enhance them. Yeah, and, <laughs> you know, uh, it's better to do it with a positive.
0: Well, it's like what, you know, what I'm saying, when you live in a friendly or unfriendly universe, I, I personally think that believing that you live in a friendly universe is, in the end, uh, it's, I don't know, you just overall, you're going to have better outcomes when you, when you, uh, you know, when you come up uh, against adversity, but. That's... Well, most people
1: I've spoken to who are, like, deeply spiritual say that you need to have the good and the bad. It's The duality is necessary. Yes, of course. So it's okay that there's positive and negative because that's the way the universe runs.
0: Right. Well, I think that for human beings, it teaches you resilience. It teaches you, hey, this might be bad, but, you know, once you overcome it or live through it, whatever, you know, whatever the situation is. Once you come out on the other side of it, it might have been a very disagreeable experience, but you kind of hopefully learn something like, okay, that was really bad, but I made it through. <laughs> I learned. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Coping mechanisms. I mean,
1: it's the adversity that offers us the lessons. I, I think it was the Dalai Lama who once said um, that uh, we should be thankful for our adversaries because they teach us much more than our friends. And I always yes. thought that was a, a very, very interesting quote. Yes,
0: and I know. I think a lot of people sometimes they, they um. They want to. I want to, for lack of a better word, live the charmed life, and uh, that's that's kind of like a little bit, very, fairy tale kind of like that's that's not what life. Life is messy, and, and like like you said, you have to. Well, you
1: never know what what sort of life somebody's leading, really. You know, they may appear to be leading a charmed life, and certainly maybe financially they are, but not necessarily in other ways, you know.
0: No, no. You know what, nowadays, and you see it, God, all the times, these people that look like, like you said, charmed lives, they've got money, sometimes fame, and everything you would think, what, this person, what could be possibly wrong, and then they, they do away with themselves, or you find out they have a really horrific drug, I mean, things that, like, just depression
1: and I feel very sad about that you know I mean yes. uh, there's a gentleman recently who took his own life and he was one of my favorite um, culinary TV personalities and I felt very sad because he was such a good guy you know he's, he was mm-hmm. supposed to be a, a pretty nice person
0: um, it's just sad right exactly and sometimes like you said appearances can be deceiving to somebody on the outside and doesn't really know what's going on internally with that person yeah um, and I think sometimes also things that people take with them that don't get resolved and it just gets once I guess it becomes overwhelming and they just don't think that they're going to they don't want to they stop trying I guess is for lack of a better word I mean there's a lot of things that lead to somebody doing that to themselves but uh, yeah I mean there could be a lot of factors going into that but anyway Louisa, I wanted to thank you so so much for spending this time today it has been absolutely wonderful Okay, I I've been it. showing slides of the covers of both of your books and uh, also, uh, you know, I imagine that anybody wanting to get more information about your books, they can go to your website which is uh, psychicbystander.com, is that correct?
1: Yes, um, and if if I may say, um, sure. in addition to both of the books having more than a hundred stories of everyday people,
2: mm-hmm.
1: uh, the first book also has the history of a lot of different psychic phenomena, so that you can see that it actually goes back through the millennia. And the second book has a lot of scientific studies that have been done on, uh, uh, you know, paranormal uh, experiences. And I thought it was kind of interesting to have the mix of people's sure. stories with a little bit of information throughout. Absolutely.
0: And yes, I'm. I'm like I said, I love these stories about the ordinary people. That, but the only time you're ever gonna get that story is like what hap- what you did, which is somebody that asks it do you have a story? And then they'll say, and I'm sure you must have heard it. Well, you know what? I haven't told anybody this before, but. Oh, that's, that's pretty much what I got from a lot of people.
1: I mean, one fellow I spoke to who's the CEO of a company said, you're the first person I've ever told this to. And he was in his Mm forties, you know, so it, it it took him until he was in his forties to be validated.
0: Yes. And plus, like you said, a lot of times people don't feel comfortable retelling these stories because, the person listening they don't think is going to understand or be sympathetic or, like, believe them. For and lack sometimes of they aren't. And
1: sometimes they really aren't. You know, so, and that makes you feel pretty lousy. <laughs> so, yeah, of
0: course. It's yeah. like, man, I don't want this person to look at me like, oh, yeah, all right, you crazy person, you. <laughs> yep. But, again, Louisa, thank you so much. It has been wonderful. Uh, well, thank and, you. Uh, by the way, are you are you going to be writing any new books? Are you planning anything new?
1: Uh. Well, actually, I took a little time because I'm getting my master's degree, and my third book is not going to be about the paranormal. It's going to be about what I'm studying, but, uh, you know, you never know. At some point, I may get back to it.
0: Absolutely. I look forward to it. Good luck to you. Well, thank you very much. Take care. All right. You take care. Bye-bye. So, guys, see, and I know you guys have heard me say this before. I'm the number one fan of the ordinary person's guide to paranormal experiences uh because you know like i said sometimes people have just one time there's one event happened to them and that's all it takes for them and then you have people who spend a lifetime on and off having these things happen to them either like what because the person is like louise's husband they're psychic and even though they don't really go looking for it it happens to them um and these people you know unless you they run across uh, a writer like let's say Louisa that asks them that specific question they they don't talk about it maybe maybe they might have told family members depending on how their f- if their family is receptive about it because believe it or not not all families are receptive uh either because of religious beliefs or because lack of religious beliefs are like like no we don't believe in that like you know so they kind of kept them themselves and they talk about some things that are fascinating or some events that are like she um and by the way not only because of let's say the ghost story for example uh was she described with that uh lady who had that premonition that uh something was in philadelphia that was going to happen at that club she had that dream and luckily she she probably i think maybe she thought what's the worst that could happen i get everybody out of this club and nothing happens okay but she believed in it strongly enough that she got everybody including her husband out of there even though he wanted his last beer which you think about it if he would have stayed for that last beer her dream would have been fulfilled it would have been so it's you know the paranormal or things like this doesn't necessarily surround like ghost stories it has to do with people listening to their intuition and not poo-pooing it um, and how can i say i think that sometimes people get confused like you know if you have premonitions or you have intuition um you know you go around in your life like how do i feel about this thing? it's like (laughs) i think that you don't live life like that you know sometimes you're gonna have to hate you're gonna have to make decisions you're gonna have to do things with no premonition and some things are gonna turn out to be wise choices and others mistakes that's the human condition. But then, when you have, I think, situations like this, where you're talking extreme peril, and, and I've talked about this be, before. You know, you you hear all these stories of people that say, "Oh, I didn't get on the plane." That, that you know, very similar stories to what she described. People having these premonitions, heeding them, and avoiding death or very serious injury. But I'm thinking to myself, can you imagine all the people that had these premonitions and didn't pay attention to them? There's nobody to tell the story sometimes sometimes you will have it i've heard about them where a family member or spouse will say you know what that person a week ago they they told me they either had a dream or they had a very bad feeling about this event or this trip whatever and i and they dismissed it and they went and i wish they had paid attention to and not have gone or done whatever but a lot of people they feel foolish you know, no matter how strong that feeling is of like, don't go there, don't do that, whatever, they dismiss it. And of course, how do you quantify that if they lost their lives in it? They can't come back and say, you know what? I had a really, really bad feeling about going on this trip or about doing this thing or about whatever. And I dismissed it. So there's there's a whole range of people that have had these experiences, but they're not alive to say, yeah I knew that was a bad idea and and as I've said before you know I I, I'm a subconscious subconscious behaviorist I believe a lot in the power of the subconscious and by this I mean in a sense the subconscious is what supplies information to you outside of psychic means in other words this is stuff that you know but in your subconscious mind And sometimes it gives you those flashes of intuition that you could say well is this being psychic it's not really being psychic it's that your subconscious is picking up on signs on things that turn into dreams you know hey be careful don't go there don't do that that you think but then you have situations like what this lady described there's no way your subconscious is going to know that there's going to be a shootout in the parking lot that's just shooting you know the the subconscious does not that's where then you start talking about psychic phenomena or tapping into some source okay where time and space is not the way we understand it and things are all happening at the same time that's why you're able to access what's going to happen in the future or in some cases what's happened in the past okay so, yeah, sometimes it's your subconscious mind giving you the hint or that gut feeling, and it's you because you're seeing and recording things subconscious on a subconscious level where you store them and it's telling you, hey, this is not your imagination, or, you know, hey, that queer feeling that you have that somebody's following you, somebody's following you, or something, you know, that you're like, oh, either life is in the way, you're too busy, or you're like, oh, that's my imagination, or no your subconscious is trying to tell you tap you on the shoulder and go pay attention be careful or uh yeah that you know you maybe you thought you heard a noise but that is a noise or it's maybe somebody trying to break into the house and you're like nah then there's a psychic part of it which i think is fascinating and also that study that i gotta look that up because uh as much as i believe in the supernatural and the paranormal and the psychic and all that stuff i am i'm very much into studies measuring what can be measured and something that Louise and I were talking about at the beginning which is when it comes to the supernatural or the psychic world yes science demands that if it can't be repeated or reproduced or you know quantify it make a model out of it and reproduce it and have it happen again and again then it's not real and that's that just doesn't work when you're talking this area okay but when they do do studies i'm very interested in that i'm very interested in that because it gives some validity that um unfortunately a lot of people think that because it can't be measured they just throw everything out out it goes this is not real this doesn't have any merit the, this is some just wishful thinking on people you know let's say people that are bereaved let's say when they say that they have communications from the other side or people that are psychic now uh, they'll say no those are cold readers and it's like yeah in some instances that is accurate but a lot of times it's not it is not and she herself she uh that's why she wrote the part the books that she had because of the experiences that she had being married to somebody who's highly psychic. And as a matter of fact, we were talking about it before we started recording that I said, you know what, this is gotta be so interesting because I know there's a lot of you's out there. These are the people that are not psychic, even though she kinda of made a or highly psychic or minimally psychic, but they either live with it whether it's marriage or a child or some other family, something with somebody that's highly psychic and comes to the point where, number one, you believe totally what this person's telling you. So their credibility is 100%. Uh, And number two, you experience certain things being with them that you cannot explain away. And then, of course, when it starts happening, a lot of times, okay, that you can say, okay, this is not a fluke, as in, like, when you're married to somebody... (laughs) I said, there's a lot of people out there that fall into that are you, running around there, that um, maybe started out as not a non-believer, kind of like, oh, you know what, maybe, but I've never had experience. So, hmm. And then, uh, like she said, you adjust your life. Like she gave that example where her husband is really hesitant of going to a hospital, you know, because the truth is, this for him, he gets. And i've heard of that a lot a lot where there are certain places that if you don't even have to be highly psychic all you have to be is just a smidge sensitive and you can get bombarded going to some of these places uh because of the human emotion that plays out within the walls and this is something i like to clarify because a lot of people yes in some of these places you have let's say a hospital that you could say okay you know you might have some deceased people who are kind of lost their way they die. they don't realize it they're afraid or like she said they don't they don't believe in the afterlife and here they are like what do I do now but besides that in these places there's such an imprint of fear okay either because of trauma that a person's going through uh fear for our family members who rush to the hospital or have to be attending somebody that's very ill or dying um plus the even the drama that goes on with the people that work there if you think of it there is and um there's so much of an emotion laden into these walls of these places that i can see how anybody that i guess that all you have to be slightly sensitive is like i really don't want to be there i don't want to go there or being there after a while makes me really uncomfortable or makes me really sad when I really don't feel sad and it's because not because there's an act of haunting. That's beside the point. It's just that there's the walls, the the metaphysical walls, if you want to think of it, are laden with this emotion. And the reason I guess the point of it is sometimes we have to be really careful when we go to some of these places. Um, I even tell people, you know, if how are you, if you if you have to go because come on, it's inevitable i would even i urge some people you know i would carry a small smudge stick and i would smudge myself just to take away some of these negative you know energies it's like stay there you know i don't want to go home and feel sad or helpless or depressed or ill uh because you do hear people that even take on in some cases um the symptoms of certain people there it's like nope funeral homes the same thing um I had a good friend of mine, police officer. Sometimes you come in contact almost on a daily basis with some very unpleasant situations and unpleasant people. And my advice was, carry a small smudge stick with you. And it helped. And this person was pretty objective about giving me feedback on what the difference was when they started smudging before and after. So yeah. Uh, human emotion is a very very potent thing especially when it's concentrated in a place especially over a length of time okay it's like it's inevitable but anyway guys i hope you like the show please subscribe like the videos or the podcast uh, whichever way that you are listening to the show If you're one of my true believers, please don't forget to to send me your story. Go to miamighostchronicles.com. You're going to see a tab there for submit your story. There's a lot of different ways you can submit the story. Um, Again, uh, you can either view the video on YouTube or go to any of the different podcast platforms such as Preaker, iHeartRadio, SoundCloud, uh, Spotify, and you're going to get the podcast version of the show. So wherever it is that you're accessing the show, if you would subscribe and like it also, just because so you can receive notifications of when I release a new show. Um, if you are, uh, again, and I'm, and I'm reaching out to those people because I've had a lot of emails sometimes about people wanting to tell me the story similar to what Louisa was describing. Uh, you know what? If you want to remain anonymous or you ask me to you know make you anonymous for whatever reason i will do that if you if you want me to interview you i could do that if you want to write it to me i could do that so uh, however you want to relate your story is going to be good with me so anyway also i have a lot of fantastic guests coming a lot of interesting people coming on i know you guys are going to be uh really fascinated with some of the guests that i got coming on that all have some interesting story to tell whether they're paranormal investigator some type of author or in some cases just maybe a true believer and like I I said before I am working on uh, one of two things I'm probably going to be bringing up a phone line to go live so I can have people call in live or in some cases I might be probably towards the end of this year which 2018 we're talking probably going live on an internet radio station i've got those things in the works guys so hang in there with me like i said i've got a lot of interesting people and ultimately of course i want to bring in my listeners so they can share their stories uh so everybody can hear it so again guys thank you so very much for being part of my audience and for sharing this time with me take care